Before you listen to today's episode of The Outspoken Bible, we wanted you to be aware that there is a brief reference to suicidal ideation during the discussion. As ever, we want you as listeners to take care of your well-being and be alert to anything that might be an unhelpful trigger. Now, on with the show. You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 8 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart and I'm joined once again by Neil Glover and Jen Robertson back online and ready to chat about John Chapter 7. Hello to you both. Hello, hello. I'm laughing because this is the second take of us saying hello. It was so difficult for us. <laughs> we both got a bit tentative. Oh dear, we've, we've uh, shot the bolt with us, I think. Anyway, we have been getting some good feedback though from people about our episode in Aberfeldy. I think I think everyone shared our excitement about being back in the same yeah. space together again. Yeah, so I hope we've not disappointed in subsequent episodes. I think that having had that time together, well, this is maybe just my years, but I sense that we've maybe remembered how normal conversation works and we've kind of recorded a bit more of a sense of that now that we're back online um anyway not heard much about holy week episodes how people have got on with that so we're interested in your feedback on whether that was a helpful thing whether you would like us to do similar things again in the future i did hear a comment though about the profession the promotional video that sbs produced yeah so mark put together a brilliant um promotional video showing us in in aberfeldy and somebody's comment was that oh i was really surprised because they looked very professional <laughs> with all their bits of paper <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't sure how to take that because i hope we don't sound amateurish the rest of the time anyhow it was uh, it was good to hear some feedback on that do, do you know what i uh, well this is a very maybe complimentary view of that maybe people th- think we make all this up as we go along yes and don't realize that we like i've got how many books have i got open one two three four five six i've got eight books next to me at the moment yes. which probably going to refer to at some point i think that's true i think and i suspect as well i quite often think this if you put a set of headphones on and you have a microphone with a pop uh, screen, well we don't actually have pop screens but if you have a microphone you know people suddenly think oh oh right they don't just record it on their phones and I know, exactly. well, we, we had all sure sorts of problems with pop screens in Aberfeldy, didn't we? No, yeah, well, they did have a few problems with that, but that's, yes. <laughs> I didn't really mean to bring that up, but somehow Sorry. I did. It emerged from my subconscious. Maybe it's a compliment, though, because <laughs> we sounded, we sound natural and conversational. Uh-huh. So you don't expect uh-huh. it to be professional. I like exactly. the way I like the way we're saying is maybe, just maybe. I mean, this could be outrageous, but it might be a compliment. It's like we're if that so, was you, if so you told Scottish. us, if you said that you look we look professional, then get in touch with us and uh, let us know what you meant by that. I think it's like um, I was trying to remember her name, Angela Scanlon. Do you ever watch Angela Scanlon programs? No. Oh, she's extraordinary. She comes across as dippy and not dippy, but kind of nice and chatty. I'm. 100% sure that an enormous mm. amount of work yeah. goes into to how she comes across. She's a brilliant, brilliant, um, very professional broadcaster. Anyway, as I've mentioned already, so today's chapter we're going to be discussing is chapter 7 of John, and it's a chapter where shenanigans at the shelters and telltale signs amongst the tabernacles become Oh, evident. nice. It's not, it's not quite as good as last time. but What was it? The one, yeah, you had one that was amazing. Oh, it was, yeah, it was the was yeah, manna from heaven and all that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't quite get there with this one, but shenanigans at the shelters, telltale signs amongst the tabernacles. Um, however, before all of that, Neil, it is time for Glover's Off. <laughs> 
Glover's Off is about Celtic spirituality this week. I don't how much have you had to do with Celtic spirituality? Have you engaged with Well, that I've just or? read a Celtic uh, spirituality blind book. So and I, and I'd I'd read a similar one for Advent. So I've read a few things. I don't know if I've ex- experienced it, but of what I've read, I've really enjoyed. It's really broadened my thinking. I think I've become more aware in the last few years, actually. I think I think I was a bit wary of some of it in the past, mm. which is another conversation. Maybe maybe you'll talk about that. I don't know, but yeah. So, firstly, what is Celtic spirituality? Is a mm. is a big question, and broadly, I would say it it is a an understanding of or an expression of faith which potentially has its roots right back in Columba in the 6th century arriving from from Ireland and bringing a a very demanding form of of Christian faith but one which emphasised the closeness of God, the presence of God in all things Christ redeeming all things altogether, it's it's very spiritual in the sense there's lots of sense of angels and and saints St Bridget, the alleged mother of of Mary is a is a big figure within it uh, and sometimes people get bothered by it because it has a very high view of of creation this comes back to someone called Pelagius who emphasized the original blessing of all things and argued with Augustine who emphasized original sin that's a very crude um, characteristic of it but it affirms creation so um when people for example talk about the peace of the earth be with you uh, the god of the moon the god of the stars people are going oh is this is this nature is this nature worship that's happening uh, one of the big roots of it as well is a guy called alexander carmichael who was a tax collector in the 1800s and went around all the islands and as well as collecting tax he used to uh, collect people's songs and stories he translated them in from the Gaelic into English in a very famous publication called Carmina Gedelica, which means Songs of the Gales. And it's many of the prayers in that which um, I think probably form the bedrock of what might be called Celtic spirituality. Now, I was in a pub in Edinburgh oh, a month ago where uh, an American speaker uh, had been speaking at a conference I was at and he said, oh, I love Celtic spirituality. I, I love all those those prayers and those songs. And uh, an Episcopalian priest who was at the table said, oh, that's all been debunked. It's all rubbish. It's the way that people, for example, in, enshrined North American in a Native American spirituality. And it became a kind of romanticization of the, the wonderful native. So point I'm making is there was an original flourishing of kind of Celtic spirituality literature uh, that perhaps came through a guy called Ian Bradley, someone else called Esther Duval, David Adam of the Northumbrian community and then it was debunked and that's what was reflected in that a uh, conversation in that pub. Uh, is it is it this beautiful authentic Celtic spirituality or is it just this romanticism? And I happen to think I have come back to the the authenticity of it, partly because of the writing of a guy called John Philip Newell, whose book Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul, I could wholeheartedly recommend to people, where he um, engages with the history of this in a very meaningful and a quite, I think, academically rigorous way. And also, I think, because of Irish writers who have 
achieved quite a degree of popularity, particularly someone like John O'Donoghue, who wrote Adam Cara, and more recently, Padraig Otumi, um, who is an Irish speaker. And they bring into the whole Celtic understanding, not just the songs of the Western Isles, but also the songs of Ireland as well. I want to read uh, from Carmina Gedalica um, this little verse here. God with me lying down, God with me rising up, God with me in each ray of light, nor I a ray of joy without him, nor one ray without him. I love the idea that God's in all things. Christ with me sleeping, Christ with me waking, Christ with me watching, every day and night, every day and night. God with me protecting, the Lord with me directing, the Spirit with me strengthening, forever and forevermore, ever and evermore. Amen. Chief of Chiefs. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was very helpful. Very helpful for me, having come at it saying I used to be, you know, a little bit sceptical. Probably some of that comes from some of the stuff that you've just talked about there. And and also it perhaps is muddled as well by some of the commercialisation of, of all of that. Yeah. So, you know, there is, there is a, a linking in, isn't there, with a, with a kind of romanticism of of the Scottish Celtic experience yeah, or the Irish yeah. Celtic experience. And it yeah. can get very kitsch and, and all these sorts of things. I mean, pe people love all these lovely Celts who are often their coracles, but it was a very demanding form of uh, spirituality. You know, they used to stand in the waters and recite all the Psalms. And uh, the, the reason that Benedictine monasteries eventually became the dominant flavour is because they were slightly less demanding than the Celtic ones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, thank you very much. That was very, very interesting indeed. Thank you. And uh, we'll put the links to some of those, um, well, to, to that book, Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul, into the um, show notes. Now, today we're talking about John chapter 7. Uh, so if you're using a Light and Life Gospel, that is on pages 21 to 25. And then there's a little seep onto page 26, but we'll maybe come to that at the end. It, it, I found it intriguing, but probably not of intrigue to anybody else. So uh, we start with the, this Festival of the Tabernacles. I wonder if we could start just by talking about what, what that's all about. Jen, you, you mentioned something when we were preparing um, about tabernacles, about Passover, about how this festival fits with what we've already talked about. In terms yeah, of I don't think I'd realised so much until I started reading John for this podcast that the festivals are really, really important in John's Gospel and they keep appearing. Mm. And we've talked about that previously. And so this is an autumn festival, and Neil will have lots more information about the festival, but the, the festival uh, that Jews would still celebrate today when they uh, build booths um, to remember their time in the desert and uh, that time when God was taking them through that, that experience. And they live in the booths and eat in the booths and have community, well, their whole community is based around the booths. Um, but th this festival starts off by Jesus not wanting to go to it um, because the other festival that he is going to go to and he's going to arrive in style, not maybe not the style the people were expecting, is going to be Passover in the spring. So uh, the festival booths is in the autumn, uh, but in the spring that's coming up, he's going to arrive in style on a donkey and it's going to become, as we know, Palm Sunday. And that's going to be the arrival into a week that is going to change the world forever. But this festival, although it's very important, he doesn't want to go to because, partly I assume, yeah. because it isn't the one when he's going to show who he really yeah. is. And so it starts off quite in quite an intriguing way. I mean, for a Jewish man of that time to say, no, I'm not going to the festival. You know, it's not like us saying, oh, I'm not going to church today. It's not on that level. You know, you, you just don't, you go to the festivals. What you do and you go with your brothers, your family, which mm -hmm. is who are the people he starts off the conversation with at the start of the chapter. 
we'll, we'll come back to talking about the brothers. I think in 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 a little while. Um, I, I, I even as you're speaking, it, it, one of the things that struck me as we've read through John as well is I think we take for granted, you know, Jesus had this ministry of three years, and I, or before the crucifixion and resurrection, and and I don't know if it's just as I get older, I, I begin to think three years is not that long. To, to set out your stall, is it? You know, if you if you had a contract for three years for a job, you'd think, oh, it's going to take me a good six months to get to know everybody in the parish to start with, isn't I've, it? I've been in Aberfeldy for four years and still yeah. think it's the early days of my Exactly, time, yeah. exactly. And, you know, even as you were speaking there, Jen, just that sense of, well, Jesus had an anticipation of what would come Yes, the, and I think I'd always, I'd always wondered maybe how we know it was three years. Now, how, how do we know it was three years? But it's actually when you read John, it's because of these festivals. That those are the marker points, aren't they? So you know which what, the time that's passing. Another comment in three years is that um, there was research done on uh, page youth workers in churches across the UK, and most of them are only in post for three years, which everybody recognised mm-hmm. was just not long enough. And most of them were leaving because... Well, they weren't treated well. It didn't work out. Poor management. There's lots of stuff to delve into there. Not not here. So three years, as you say, it's not it's it's not a good length of time, and yet it's the time that Jesus uh-huh. had. Uh huh. Uh huh. I I think as well that, that we are we're very quick to recognise when Jesus is. You know, we've talked about this already in this season, but when he's using uh, an occurrence in order to teach a deeper point. You know, we've talked a lot about that. But but I I think again as we're reading through, I'm realizing also that that annual cycle and the the liturgical cycle that that perhaps we don't pay as much attention to as we as we maybe should be on that note can you tell us a little bit about tabernacles yeah so i mean a lot of jen's already said a lot already so it's it's it it, there there are two massive images that are related in part of it one is the tabernacle the idea that that in the desert you lived in in huts and that Jen's already spoken about that. And the other idea, is, which Jen also mentioned, I'm, I'm being very careful here. We've had some feedback. Neil, We're is, noticing. Neil is speaking as if Jen did not speak. Um, <laughs> as Jen also said. Um, they, so the, the dominant images are tabernacles and water. Those are the two things. Wandering around the desert, and in particular that moment where Moses strikes the, the rock and water comes out the rock. Into all that, we're in the Near East, where water is such a precious commodity. And the need for water and people's anxieties about, is there going to be enough water this year for the harvest, is massive. So that it wasn't just the, the Jewish people who were watching to see if there were rain that happened in tabernacles. Arab and, and the non-Jewish farmers would be looking to see, is there going to be water at this, at this time of year? So you've got story of desert, you've got tabernacles, you've got water. Mm-hmm. And if there's a common theme, it's that God will provide. You're looking to God to provide. Mm-hmm. So what happens in tabernacles is that it's a seven-day festival. And uh, the details for this are in the Mishnah, which is the, the, the Jewish text, which was roughly written or codified around about the time of the, the New Testament. And what would happen is that on seven mornings, uh, the people would go down to a fountain in a place called Gihon and a priest would fill a golden pitcher with water as a choir repeated Isaiah 12 verse 3 with joy. You will draw water 
from the wells of salvation. So that they've got this big golden pitcher of water. Everybody's going, yes, we will draw wells from, from salvation. People then march up the hill to the temple and the crowds have got in one hand, they've got a, some branches which symbolize the wood that was made to make the tabernacle. And in the other, they've got a lemon or some kind of fruit which symbolizes harvest. So you, you, people are going up and all the time, they're, uh, the choir singing with joy, you shall uh, draw water from the wells of salvation. And then they also recite some of the what are called the Hallel Psalms, the Hallelujah Psalms, Psalm 113 to 118. And in particular, the people sing from an, uh, Psalm 118, verse 25, which uh, I just love the boldness of this verse. It just says, save us. We beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you. Give us success. So it's no, no messing around. Lord, save yeah. us. We beseech you. Give us success. So all the people march up the hill and on what's called the, the great uh, and they carry the water and they put it into a silver pitcher but on what's called the great day the seventh day of the feast where people are reaching this whole kind of frenzy they walk seven times round the, the temple singing these psalms and once again calling out with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation so when it later on tells us in John chapter 7 that Jesus speaks on the great day this is the day where people are water mad you know, they've, they've drawn up the well, they've gone round, we beseech you, we beseech you, wells of salvation. And then later on, we're going to see this. He stands up and says, is anyone still thirsty? Brilliant. That's Brilliant. Well, let's, that's great. That's so helpful. So let, let's come back to that later on. So mm -hmm. I'm saying that out loud so that we remember to do it, to come back to the, the, the theme of water. But can, it, can we just stick at the moment with the beginning of the chapter and the, the, the choosing not to go and the brothers and what the brothers think yeah. and... Yeah, how how does all of that fit? Do we think? So it's a bit of a controversial verse. So we've had a we've had a discussion about this already, haven't we? But a uh, verse eight. So the, there seems to be this element of the messianic secret going on. The messianic secret, of course, in Mark's gospel, where Jesus is is hiding his identity, and his disciples are saying to Jesus. Now, my interpretation was that he's. They're saying, come on, Jesus, uh, you're riding a crest of a wave here. Time to maximize your publicity. Get down to Judea where the crowds are. Start doing some miracles. We're going to draw a crowd. And John makes this comment to say, um, because even his own brothers didn't believe in him, which is this interesting thing, isn't it? Because we would have thought if the brothers are pushing and promoting him, it's because they do believe in him. But I think so, it's, can I interrupt you though yeah. for a minute? So, so when you say that you said the disciples, sorry, I meant brothers. Do we brothers. think it's the disciples or do no, we think it's, it's the not. brothers? It's brothers. I said. I disciples, think it is the brothers, don't we? Yeah, it says so that. So it's his actual flesh and blood brothers. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah. don't get it. Uh huh. Um, and it's almost like not believing in Jesus is wanting him to be the wrong kind of Messiah. Yeah. This kind of publicity-seeking yeah. person. Uh, so they don't believe him, and then Jesus says, verse eight, "I am not going up to the festival. You go." Now, uh, this verse is tricky because it feels that Jesus might be being a bit deceptive because saying, I'm not going up. And you, in some later versions of the text, people try to get Jesus off the hook by adding the word yet. So mm -hmm. Jesus goes, I am not yet going up. So that's fine. But it does seem the original version of the text says, Jesus says, I'm not going up. And what's this? Is it, is it deception? I remember once being with somebody saying, Jesus lied at this point here. I find that quite hard to, to deal with because there's so much about truthfulness and false testimony in the verse that come later on. Um, my 
take on it is Jesus is saying, I'm not engaging with this festival. And that partly fits as well with the the brothers saying, oh, we want you to go up and kind of make a big name for yourself. It's, it's Jesus saying, I'm not engaging. But you folks had also read some stuff that said it was because of Passover. Well, no, what wasn't what I was wondering about. I was wondering about, um, does you, Jesus quite often says you don't need to tell everybody everything in different words, doesn't he? Like, you know, don't I think about don't throw your your parable before the swine. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I, yeah, pe- yeah, people will some will understand and some won't. So is this one of these moments that he's not lying, but he's just not telling them the whole thing? I'm not going. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That, yeah. That's different from lying. Lying's an interesting thing. I think, you know, I think uh, life is full of times when we we have to hold things back, and that and that isn't that isn't lying. And this the timing is so important. It seems to be in these verses about Jesus knew the right time, and we talked about that before at the wedding in Cana, didn't it? Was all about the timing and the right moments. So Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, but he doesn't have to tell his brothers. Yeah, and and I mean I don't want to be dancing on a pinhead, but technically he's not lying because he's he doesn't go up initially, <laughs> so he's truthfully saying I am not going up to this festival. Well, the twins have. Do you what know, so does, does that, I am does not that going mean, up? Does that does that imply a change of mind? I mean, it's difficult because I, I I don't hmm. speak Greek, so I can't I can't look at what the tenses mean. Oh, I need to go and check now. But you know, um, oh no, no well, don't, don't worry too much about it, Neil. But, but <laughs> <laughs> the benefit of the listener, Neil suddenly started scanning his bookshelves and you know <laughs> setting aside the eight books he's got on his desk. Um, do, do you know? But I think it's, I think it's, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's interesting. It's interesting because is he saying, "Well, I'm not coming up right now, guys." The Passover comment, though, w- w- so that was something that that I think I read in in Tom Wright's commentary, which he was he was saying that Jesus is is saying. My time for entry into Jerusalem, my time to go up to Jerusalem, is coming, but it's not yet. So it's going to come in the Passover, the following, the following and then, spring. Yeah, and he goes secretly. I, I was wondering what that was meant. Like, did he put on a disguise? <laughs> was he just sort of lurking around? Did he stay inside? I, you know, that's a tiny wee phrase. But but then it, alongside in that same paragraph, they're looking for him carefully. The the religious leaders. Mm, yeah, and, yeah. Mm. And there's, that's all their focus is, is they have to find Jesus. Yeah. It does heighten yeah. the drama, doesn't it? Because mm-hmm. he's he's hidden. Everybody's going, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And he's hiding. He doesn't appear on the first day. He doesn't mm-hmm. appear on the second day. Three, four, five, six. And then suddenly the great moment on the big day suddenly turns up and says, is anyone yeah. thirsty? It's really and he, dramatic. And, he's, yeah. and, what, and what do you think he was doing in Galilee in the meantime? <laughs> Planning his disguise. Oh. I don't, I mean, or was it? You know, do you know, it's interesting, isn't it? And did he walk up and he was on his own? So there was a bit yeah, of solitary time. Mm. time. Is there time with God? Is there? Was he looking after the animals because everybody else was up yeah. at the festival? Having an alone time. Fascinating, isn't it? Oh, mm-hmm. there's a midrash waiting yeah. to be written there, Fiona. <laughs> but I, I, I do, I love that. You know, that that Jesus Jesus creates that time for himself and he, he doesn't share it with everybody. I think there's... There's a few things that happened to me recently, and particularly that pedal before swine comment, because young people, I was with a group of young people, and they were asking me, what does that mean? And we were chatting about it together. And I wonder if it's this kind of thing that there's not everything in life that you need to share with everybody. And I'm the kind of person who who would maybe do that. And I need to 
draw myself back to say, no, this isn't to be shared in this context, but in another situation, maybe I would. So here is Jesus in that in that kind of situation. He knows if he goes up with his brothers, with his family, with the whole community, it'll become something that it, it isn't to be yet. And so he waits back and does he pray? Does he eat nice things? Does he just play some games? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's the negative yeah. space of yeah. people's lives, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know, you think in art of negative space that that you don't see, but it it makes it makes the the other stuff come into. Relation. And other times, it, there, yeah, there is lot, there is comments when Jesus it, it very clearly says he goes off and finds that time. This is a kind of sort of yeah. opposite yes. version of it. He's 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 choosing to be left behind to not be part of what's yeah. going on, and that that's an that's yeah, it's an interesting thing. Maybe there's times in my life I need to do and, that, and also, well. Well, I was going to say, as somebody who really, I find it really hard not to be involved in things. <laughs> There's a there lesson there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes it's all right to say no. Sometimes, you know, you don't yeah. need to be in the thick of things because it's more important to not be. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, um, should, I should have said that yeah. I, I gave the impression, partly because I had the impression that it's not to the last day, but of course he does appear in the middle yeah. of the He yeah. begins to teach. Well. He begins to teach and they're like, that's when the leaders say, um, how could he teach and he hasn't been taught? And and it, yeah. so just the contrast. So everything is so secret. He doesn't want that entry into Jerusalem. He doesn't. He doesn't want to be seen. But then within a few, a few paragraphs, he's shouting. You know, like it said a couple. He spoke uh-huh. in a loud voice. He's the uh-huh. centre of everything. He's making incredible statements that he is the living water. Yes. Come to me and drink. So what what's happened? You know, he wanted to avoid this at the start of the festival, but in the, by the middle of the festival. He's absolutely, totally there, totally engaged, very mm-hmm. public. All the things his brothers actually said, uh, you, you mm-hmm. can't act in yeah. secret, you need to be a public figure. And he's there doing it. Yeah, yeah, yes. So, yes, so a few things there to, to this is fascinating. I don't know why I'm finding it so fascinating this morning. I think actually because I came into this morning thinking, oh, this is not a chapter I know very much about. It's not one of the big mm. encounters in John. Oh, we might struggle to find things. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting as we go on. So uh, can we chat a little bit about the the fact that they're, they're looking out for him, that people are all whispering about him? Yeah, people people are curious. He, he's aroused this curiosity. I I think there's something... There is something about timing here, isn't there, that Jesus is waiting for the right moment to appear, but he's not wanting to be the person everybody wants him to be. He's, he's refusing mm-hmm. to conform. It's also some, there is something about humility there. He, he, verse um, 18, those who speak on their own seek their own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. Mm. I... Oh. I don't know, it just, I keep coming back to that whole thing that's through the whole gospel, which is that people go running off after all sorts of of things, but actually what they need is Jesus. Yes. But more than that, it's, it's not a... It's not a version of Jesus who's just a showman. It's the, ver- it's the true version of Jesus who is the source of all life. So the brothers at the start, you know, they're they're pretty obsessed with Jesus. So you could say, oh, they're followers of Jesus, but it's the mm-hmm, wrong kind of mm-hmm. Jesus. It's mm-hmm. it's Jesus the showman. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just Jesus again and again saying to us, what are all the things in life that you go running mm-hmm. after? Whether it's publicity or glory or the, even this huge religious establishment, mm-hmm. all of it is still leaving you thirsty. And um, for, for what you really 
what you really need is is me mm-hmm. um so so let's talk about this thing about where not so much where jesus teaching comes from because i, I guess we we would we would assume jesus teaching comes from the fact that jesus is who he says he is but but this expectation that you somehow need to be a person of learning in order to speak is there is there a is there a coded message in here that says actually getting to know god is as important as knowing about mm. God. There, is, there is something, isn't there, about how learning has become a fetish, mm-hmm. and oh, I've got to be, we've got to be so careful here. There are two traps. Firstly, that that learning and study are such an important part of Judaism, and we can't we can't dismiss it and and say, oh, these people were we're so obsessed with what the rabbis because it, it's at its best it is a it is a truly wonderful part of judaism it goes i've quoted this before but yvonne sherwood my old jewish teacher said the nazis didn't get many things right but they did get this if you want to destroy judaism then you burn books mm. and there is but there for the pharisees that that whole tradition has maybe become too much mm-hmm. and the other thing is I was discussing with someone recently about whether they would do a diploma in theology or a master's in theology. And I, and they were going down the diploma route. And I, I got really irate because I said, and I'm, I'm, I get so triggered by really, by intelligent people avoiding serious theological study. Uh, so I think there's a whole thing where proper serious study is really, really important. It's about giving of our minds to God. Well, you're hundred percent right. It is so easy to turn that into a fetish, into an yeah. idol, into something where it's the credibility of knowing all the right names to quote. I mean, I'm so prone to that myself. It, mm. it it's about Jesus. So so once again, learning becomes one of the things that we go racing after to try mm. and fill our thirst. And that yeah. when, when really that's it's what Jesus. Jesus is saying in his response to the leaders who say, How can he teach when he hasn't been taught? He doesn't say it's wrong, mm. it's wrong to learn. He says, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. Um, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. It's about, it's about your attitude to the knowledge you've gained. And I was over the Easter holidays, I was watching The Pilgrimage on BBC iPlayer, where a group of people from different faith backgrounds uh, and, and people who didn't have faith um, went in a pilgrimage um, to Iona from Ireland, um, St. Columba, following the route of Columba. And there was a moment in that where the girl who, by the end of the walk, she had called herself a Christian. I don't think she wasn't very sure at the start. But she got upset because the kind of intellect of the other people were putting down her faith. And that, I was I trying to give that as an example of a misuse of your teaching, a misuse of your knowledge to make other people feel small rather than using what you know either about God or of God to get alongside people and listen to them and to hear their questions and to help them on their journey that's completely different from mm-hmm. that kind of overpowering I'm better than you because I've I've got a master's degree or I've got a PhD mm-hmm. in fact our learning should make us more approachable shouldn't I? I would think so just if, if i would really encourage people to watch the pilgrimage on iplayer it's a fascinating set of conversations between people of coming from very different backgrounds but there's a couple of moments like that where some of the people on the walk use their intellect to just 
Mm-hmm. They don't mean to dismiss other people, but they're pushing people aside because of the knowledge they have. And that doesn't mean they don't have the knowledge. They did have the knowledge, and that's a good thing to have. I think one of the the positives that that is a response to that negative happens suddenly in verse 37, where Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. And then out of the believer's heart, or some translations out of my heart, but I think it's actually both that's being referred to here. Out of the believer's heart will come living, will come streams of living water. Now, like so many other places, Jesus is quoting Zechariah here. Zechariah is also lurking in the background here. There's all sorts of things about living water in, in Zechariah. But I, I think that when you've had genuine experiences of meeting people and you being used by God in a way to speak to people, that happens in a, in a sense the living waters flow out of you and, and touch other people. Those moments are so utterly humbling that you very rarely think that was down to me. Um, two examples I was with someone this morning who in Aberfeldy has run a Bible study for young people uh, for something like 15, 16 years and that Bible study has profoundly impacted lots and lots of, of people and the person said to me when I, when I hear some of the people who were in that Bible study talk about the impact it's had on them I know it had nothing to do with me because there's just no way that could have been me. It must have been God at work. It was living water. And another thing that happened, it happened to me a couple of days ago. I actually very rarely go to our church building. I'm I'm often around the town or, or here too often, actually, probably in, in the study. But I happened to, just for random reasons, happened to go and make a visit to the, the church on Tuesday at 12 o'clock. I'm never there at that time. And just at that moment, someone appeared looking to pray. Uh, they didn't come from the area. They, they don't even live in Scotland. And they uh, are, are someone who had had a profoundly awful experience of being asked to leave their church, which had happened last Monday. And that person was absolutely devastated by what happened. They had been silenced. And I... I felt this prompting to say to this person, when you have an experience of silenced, being silenced, be aware that often, sometimes at those points, we often hit a moment of such despair, we almost want our own life to end. And I'm, I'm aware that what I'm saying now, I'm being very careful with my choice of words because I'm aware that this might trigger some things for some of our listeners as well but that moment opened up that person being able to talk that even on the way to church they had had those thoughts Mm. and we were able to have a conversation and I said to this person you have no idea how rarely I am outside our church building during the week Mm. and for you just to have appeared at the exact moment that I Mm -hmm. happen to be there is it it just never happens and it cannot help but have the feeling that that this was was meant by god and once again it was another one of those moments where out of the believer's heart come streams of living water mm-hmm. and I, I genuinely believe that through that encounter that person found hope to live again um 
and I had nothing to do with me. And and so it's one of these genuinely humbling, humbling moments. And that that does bring us on to, to talking about this this living water. So we, we've we've said that we'll we'll, we'll land on this because um, we've we've set the context of the tabernacles. And, and Neil, you very helpfully talked about the the importance of water to that festival. Mm. Uh, and so th- then Jesus comes out with this incredibly profound piece of teaching, doesn't he? I think there are commentators would would say that there are two things which are closely related. That Jesus is firstly talking about himself again i am the water which then raises the question how, how do i get this self how, how do i get this jesus and i think it's actually what the celts talked about it, it was every single moment seeing how is christ mm. here sustaining mm. me and the other thing that's specifically mentioned in the passage in verse 39 now he said this about the spirit which believes in him which believers in him were to receive for there was no spirit because Jesus was not yet glorified. It's about the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, the Spirit and Christ are both God. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, 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 it's such a cliche, but the answer is God here. Yeah. That that's the living water, and then God flows through us into touching the lives of others, and I, I think that's the Christian life. I, I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses. I th- it's the life of God is God flowing through us into the life of the world. Mm-hmm. And it it always happens in ways we don't expect. All three of us will have been involved in people launching Christian programs. You know, the, there's um, new initiatives that people will have launched, uh, branded things, programs, things. That, I mean, Bible 2020 was one of them, you know, that that. Um, and and we will inevitably do things like that, which are part of our Christian life. But very rarely does the Christian life happen in such a way that someone in a meeting goes, let's pull lever A and push lever B and press button C and then everything will go all right. Yeah. It's always so much more organic chance. I use the word chance in inverted commas. Just these random encounters that we have where suddenly out of the believer's heart flow rivers of water. It's much more mysterious and mystical than all of our programming could ever allow. And and I think the other thing that strikes me around all of that is is just how the, and I'm going to use the word flow, <laughs> but how that metaphor flows through the whole scripture, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so you think about Ezekiel 47, you think about Revelation, um, the, the, the importance of the river flowing from the temple, the importance of God's renewing, refreshing, flowing work is is the, the you know the, the the mystery of that is there but you, but you sense that these people even though they are in jerusalem even though they are celebrating a festival that 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 recalls the the, the rock and the desert and zechariah and all of that nonetheless they, they kind of miss the point or, or some of them and miss the it point. must have been such a scene this jesus saying let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. So you've got the priest, you've got all these people, you've got the water being poured out because this is the greatest day that he says this is the most important day. And he's this one, this man who who was wanting to be secret is saying, I am he, it's me. Like he said to the woman at the well on, on his own, but now he says it to everybody, come to me and, and you'll receive this water. And then there's the, all the responses of he is the Messiah, He's the prophet, but then you've got the no, way. He can't be the prophet. Where's he coming from? So much division and 
when I was reading this, I was thinking about the division in church, churches now and, and for centuries, you know, so much division, but it's right here at the start of Jesus offering us this life-giving water, uh, the controversy, and then the guards don't take them, and like, why didn't you bring them? And then we've got Nicodemus appearing, and nobody wants to talk about Nicodemus because his story through John's Gospel is fascinating, but I- I've never read this chapter before and realised maybe the enormity of what Jesus is doing when he stands yeah. up publicly and says come to me and get the water and I love what you said earlier on there Neil about the Celtic tradition of um, asking God constantly to fill us because that is the only way isn't it that Mm -hmm. we can be the Mm. people that God wants us to be in the situation that we find ourselves in because we don't know what lies ahead and we don't know who we're going to meet and and that knowledge of God and God constantly present with us um, is it's not is it far more important than our knowledge I, I I wouldn't like to. Oh yes. Yeah, but knowledge is good too. It's good to. But yeah, no. I well, I was going to say earlier. I was going to say earlier. Then you, no, you came in with something else. But but when we were talking about the learning thing, I, one of the things I really appreciate about the twenty four seven prayer movement is they have six principles mm. that sit at the heart of it. And I, and I had a quick look to check check what they were. So creativity and justice, um, hospitality, mission, prayer, and then the final of the six is learning. And it, sometimes that jumps out at me when, when I think, oh, learning, okay, right. Because learning, I don't, maybe this is just my baggage that I bring to it, but it feels quite dry. It feels quite cerebral. Um, and as we know, because I've talked about this before, I'm probably not a cerebral person. I'm quite embodied and emotional and all that stuff. But but actually, it, I think it is really important that that sits at the heart of all those other things too. It's a holistic understanding, isn't it, of learning, that learning sits alongside hospitality it sits alongside mission it sits alongside yes it has to be part of these things it's the the without that the paul thing about knowledge Mm -hmm. puffs up love builds up happens but otherwise you know it's you know you devote yourself to study and to Mm -hmm. wisdom and i I would say being part of this conversation on the podcast is a kind for me a picture of that in action so we talk i learn we all learn but god god speaks and he changes me It's, it's not you can't separate them all out and my, my daughter said a lovely thing once to me when, when she was crossing. I don't know what she was, 18? I'm still, still a teenager. Um, but I just finished my master's degree and I said to her, oh, oh, I really miss studying. Like thinking, would I go out and do something else? And she went, no, 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 mom, you don't miss studying. You miss learning. And you don't need to do another qualification to keep learning. And, it, mm. I, yes. and, and life, life would be so much the poorer without the learning. But in the learning... It's actually how we get the drink from Jesus, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Yes. However, however, we, however, we might do that. We do it in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just come in with what you said ages ago about the um, the whole thing about this running through Scripture? Because a uh, verse thirty eight in in John, the mm-hmm. bit where he says, "And let the one who believes in me drink, as the Scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water." Mm-hmm. Now, the, the 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 odd part is that there isn't actually an obvious scripture which reads like that. So people aren't particularly sure which which scripture Jesus is referring to. But when you look at all the different candidates, you see this as a theme, as you, as you said, a flow that goes through the whole of scripture of God's river of water, which is a picture of Jesus, a picture of the Spirit. So the candidate verses... Uh, Psalm 78, verse 16, 
which is he made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Mm-hmm. And some people speculate that in the Aramaic version, that's much closer to what Jesus is quoting in okay. John. Of course, that's a reference. And obviously connected to the, the tabernacles. Yes, yes, and Talk desert about, yeah. and all these, and mm-hmm. the Exodus story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other potential reference is Zechariah 12, and I'm just desperate, uh, sorry, Zechariah 14, verse 8. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And Zechariah is full of references to this passage here. And then people also make the link with Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Mm. So it's a constant theme. Which is the Ezekiel 47 river, isn't it? Yeah, oh yes, yes. That. That, yeah. Yeah, sorry, Ezekiel 47 is in this commentary here. And for some oh, reason, I look missed at that, you see. I just, yeah, I just knew that. Brilliant. Okay, fantastic. Well, it's, we're, we're, we are about to round things off, but can we just flag up, Jen, as you mentioned, our old friend yeah. Nicodemus pops back up. The voice of reason, mm-hmm. is he? Is he the voice of indecision? Is he the voice of secret believership? He's constantly there watching it all, isn't he, Anne? And he hasn't made a decision to give everything up and go with Jesus. Was that an option? I don't know. Uh, but he's there and he does, at this point, he speaks directly to his contemporaries, doesn't he? His peers, his fellow Pharisees. Um, we need to listen to this guy. You know, but that's a pretty bold statement, maybe. Easy to think, you know, is he just sitting in the fence? But he is challenging them. Oh, and yeah, and is he doing? Is he doing what we? Well, I always encourage people to do, which is to follow Jesus where mm. they are. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm about to say something that's heretical. I don't know, but following Jesus uh, into, you know, in the in the, the Peter and John and yeah. James and Andrew yeah. and all that all all that yeah. crew, that's that's not the only way to do it. That's right. That, and I wonder that you know, for Nicodemus, he he occupies this place of yeah. influence and and persuasion. And the, I, it wasn't just the 12 who followed Jesus. I mean, they had a particular role, didn't mm-hmm. they? But when those who, quite often it says those who followed Jesus, I'm sure that was a much bigger group. And then we've got the women. Yes. The women in Luke that are mentioned specifically, a good number of them. And was Nicodemus one of them? I mean, had mm-hmm. had he known from the start, I'm just making up a story here, but had he known from the start of this festival that Jesus mm. is there in secret, has he been talking to Jesus, but other conversations has he had with Jesus, and he's got this, mo- he's taking these moments, like Neil was talking about his moment outside the church, um, when he was there at the right place at the right time, you know, it's this Nicodemus's moment to say, our law says we need to listen to someone before we judge them. Then he gets pelters for that, doesn't he? Yeah. But he still sticks around, as we'll find out later on when we encounter him again. Great. Uh, is there a bit of casual racism at the end mm. about the Galileans? So the, <laughs> the insult that's thrown at Nicodemus. Are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You'll find that prophet does not come out of Galilee. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely there is. There's a kind of, and it blinds them as well because, yeah. of course, there are lots of prophecies of Galilee. Did you mention that Jonah came from Galilee? Yeah, I read that. Again, it's probably Tom Wright, but <laughs> Jonah and Hosea, I think. Hosea. And then so he there's... was basically saying, actually, they're not right when they say there are yeah. no problems. Yeah, yeah. Out, really. <laughs> there, there's, so, so the racism, not, and this is a kind of parable, the racism has 
blinded them to their own learning. Yes. Because there's also the verse about Galilee of the Gentiles, from you will come a mm. And that's followed. So that racism has followed Jesus around, hasn't it? Because earlier when there's mm. anything good come out of Nazareth comments. Yeah, yeah. And there's also this tantalising thing going on. I mean, does if John wanted to at this moment, he could tell the Christmas story. Because yes. at one point they say, has the scripture not said the Messiah has descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived, and then later on, eh, you surely a prophet won't come from mm. Galilee. And of course, Matthew and Luke both tell a story that allows us to to understand both of those passages, and particularly Luke. Um, but John doesn't tell it. I don't know why he doesn't tell the Christmas story. Maybe he assumes it, or maybe he's going right back to something you said earlier, Jen. You don't always tell the full truth yeah. of a thing, and and are not the full truth. You don't yeah. tell the whole story always. And maybe John's just yeah. saying, "I'm not going to tell you the story of Christmas if, at the moment." Yeah. I know why he comes from Bethlehem. And if you were Jesus hearing that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you'd be like, "No, wait a minute! I was born in Bethlehem. <laughs> That's what I would do." You know, it's like. That's right. That's right. I'm actually not from Galilee. There was a census. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, lots of intrigue in there, isn't there? Lots of intrigue. Um, I'm just going to finish with my tiny little comment, which is that there's a little run over into chapter eight. So verse 53, which if you're reading light in life, you'll not pick up because of the verse numbers issue. But I'm just alert to it these days because we've talked about verse numbers quite a lot. The run over into chapter eight is that verse 53 says, then they all went home and i'm intrigued about why that sits at the beginning of chapter eight why it's in italics and we'll probably come to that next time because it's probably time for us all to go home (laughs) to be continued and it is very much chapter eight it's very much a continuation of this festival isn't it yeah 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 Yeah. it just goes to show sticking chapters in probably not very useful at all i i need to find <laughs> this out do, do any of you know when were chapters added to the bible for the first time after the, what was the big game um, conference in the like 200 300 ad when everybody got together and talked about Nicaea. yeah was it not round about then was it not after that but they would have been writing things down then i well i i, I need to just search my memory but i was at something recently and it i think i talked about it in the last episode where I'm pretty sure they said it was done later. I think it was. Yeah. And it was quite it was quite randomly just I, sort of I have a done, I have a story in my in. mind of somebody being on a horse doing it. But that maybe Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's that's it. Yes, that's we need to story. look that yes. up for the next time. Do you know what? Well, yes, we'll look that up for next time. We'll or if someone's listening who knows, that would be great to hear from you. <laughs> yes, and it's about a story about somebody on a horse. So it's oh, it's all being done very kind yeah. of on oh. the hoof literally. Uh, very good. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> No, but I think you know. I think that is actually a really good phrase for what for how it was happening. Yeah. It, there wasn't an awful lot of thought put into it, but we can talk about that next time. We will do a bit of investigation, a bit of homework in advance of that. Uh, before we finish off, Jen, here's the question: Do you have a gem? Well, over Easter, I, my husband and I that sounds like quite royal, doesn't it? Um, Alan, my husband and I uh, watched The Chosen, uh, which is a retelling of the story of jesus and actually lots of our correspondents um have mentioned the chosen recently and uh, because it kind of follows john's gospel and so lots of the stories we've been talking about um are shown in the gospel uh, from the gospel are shown in the chosen so i'd watched a few episodes um but over easter we watched the whole there's two two series um, maybe eight episodes in each and i just my gem is the chosen 
Uh, please watch it. Um, it. I mean, with all these retellings of Jesus' life, we have to sit with it and critique it and like, what's, how does it fit in with the Bible? But what I love is the reimagining of some of the stories that we've been talking about and other stories that we know well from the Bible. And particularly Mary Magdalene, uh, episode three of the first season, uh, Jesus spending time with children. Uh, there's a beautiful moment when uh, he's making things out of wood, as Jesus would, and he makes a lock, uh, like a lock with a key, and he makes it and he says, oh, that's good. And I just thought, here's the God of the universe making a wooden lock. It was just, it was very beautifully done. And there's lots of beautiful moments like that. And it really exp expanded my mind to think more of just what it was like to be with Jesus and the relationships between the disciples. And there's lots of bits, there's a bit in it at the end of season two. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but um, where Jesus is preparing um, what he's going to say. I, ne I never thought about that. I never thought he was preparing anything he was going to say the way we do. But there's a thought. Anyway, so there's lots of wee moments like that. And um, if you're working with young people and children or all ages, um, you you know, there's brilliant bits in it that you could use. If you were exploring a bit of, of the gospel story and you could show a wee clip of the chosen, it would really help conversation because of that animation, not animation, uh, um, the way that it's been created is just very helpful for us to start talking more about the Bible. So it's, it's on an app. Uh, there's an app, the chosen app, which you can get on your TV or on your any other device. Um, I think it's on YouTube as well. Various, but it's all being crowdfunded. It's not. It's not a big. It's not on Amazon or Netflix or any of these things. It's it's crowdfunded for, forward. So that's why there's only two seasons because uh, folk are giving uh, to get it made. So if you haven't explored it, you haven't watched it, give the chosen that we watch and use it as well to help to have conversations about the Bible. It's by Angels. Angel Studios are the people Excellent. who are producing it. Yeah, Angel. Yeah, Studios. I was about to ask you who's behind it. That's the name. Well, that's well the, I don't know. It. I, I don't know much. What's, <laughs> what's, what's inadequate with saying Angel Studios? <laughs> Nothing. I just wanted, you know, a little bit more background information do, about Angel I, Studios. I, you, that was all. Maybe you do this whenever a new organisation appears. You go onto the website and see who the board of directors are. Yeah. Well, I always do that. Oh, yes. <laughs> ah, I've got you now. Maybe, maybe having read Chapter 7 today, I need to just temper that desire to look around and yeah. suss out and... Yes, exactly. Fantastic. Well, I've only, to be honest, I've only watched mm. I've watched the one about the woman at the well, actually, because somebody else was talking to me about it. And I, I, I'm moderately sceptical sometimes about reenactments and things. Profession. Is it because you don't, it's because you can but, see it done badly. It's not the reenactment itself. Yeah, probably, probably. Or I can see, I can, I start sure. thinking about how it's been done but, and all that kind of stuff. I also find, yeah, sometimes the portrayals of Jesus, I think, oh, I'm not sure about this. Um, well, Jesus is a What I would say is that play, John. Oh yeah, of course, of course, of course. Um, but the John Four Samaritan Woman at the Well, I was in tears. It moved. We've more information so production. Loaves and Fishes Productions, Angel Studios. Dallas, <laughs> Dallas Jenkins. Dallas Jenkins is one of the writers, and he he often he speaks before oh, some Dallas of the episodes. Jenkins. Never heard of him. All right. No, I genuinely, I, I wasn't meaning this but in a sceptical way. You want to know where it, really from which stream doth it come? Well, it, no, no, no. It, actually, it's not that. It's more that I, I'm interested in it's it because well it's done. pretty high, it's high production values. Yeah. You know, so it's obviously a lot yeah. of money behind it. That that was just, I was wondering where that has yeah. come from. Right. 
yeah. Apart from Couch the Lord, hunting. obviously, through the loaves and fishes and the bread and the angels. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Okay, well, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. Next time, we're going to be talking about John chapter 8, where Jesus reveals that he is the light of the world. Sorry, that's a spoiler alert for next time's conversation. Join us then for more outspoken conversation. And in the meantime, don't forget, of course, you can like, rate, share, and review so that other people can get involved. And of course, you can drop us an email at outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. 